You are listening to the Think Brick Australia podcast. Think Brick Australia represents the clay, brick and paver manufacturers of Australia. Brick by Brick, our podcast will discuss technical information and architectural case studies with special guests. I'm your host, Elizabeth McIntyre, the CEO of Think Brick Australia. On today's podcast, I'm delighted to be here with Billy Cavallaris, and he has been not only a winner of our Horbury Hunt commercial, high commendation in the Horbury Hunt residential, but also a judge on our Thinkbrick Awards. Welcome, Billy. Thank you. Billy, um, just before we get started about all the brick projects that you've done, and I think you would be one of the most prolific architects that has not only completed brick projects, but has used them in advertising, I think, when they were selling. <laughs> yep. But Billy, tell us a little bit about your childhood and growing up. Uh, I grew up in northern suburbs. I have a Greek parent background. At the age of 15, my cousin was a mechanical engineer and I saw him drawing on a little A3 drawing board. And I begged my parents to buy one at that stage. And I knew at that moment I wanted to be an architect. So from the age of 15, I did get my drawing board, the first one. And then from there, I you know, went on to study, uh, went on to do a diploma of uh, building design for two years. I worked straight out of TAFE. So worked for two years, then worked full-time for a year in a number of practices. Then went on to do a degree course, then started my own practice at third year uni. So I was working full-time with my own practice. I had about three or four staff at that stage and I was studying full-time and it was just round the clock. So just take me back just, so you finish school and then you go and do what degree? I did a diploma first, yes. then I did a degree in architecture. Wow, okay. So yeah. what, nearly five years? Seven years. Seven years. Two and five, yeah. yes. Yeah. And so beyond that, I went after, after starting a practice, I started doing some guest lecture spots, then was a sessional tutor at Melbourne University for a while. That got a bit much because I was trying to run a practice and it was after hours, had children. So I will go back again and teach again, but, um, and regularly do, you know, interviews or uh, design talks or whatever it might be, done some stuff overseas, but very interested in the academic component of architecture as well as, you know, our commercial practice, but one thing informs the other, I guess. And so, yeah, so it's, I like to think of myself as cheating because, you know, this, if, if I wasn't an architect professionally, I'd be doing it in my spare time. So I get paid <laughs> to do something I love, which is really cool. And so Billy, from the get go, you went out on your own. Was that just something that you wanted to do or? Yeah, look, I, I worked in a number of practices the first, I think, five years and I worked on everything, schools, hospitals, casinos, houses. And I just didn't like some of the culture that I was working in as a young person. And I was very ambitious. I had a very uh, strong work ethic coming from a Greek migrant parent background where work was ingrained in us. And so I, I thought I could do better on my own. And I wanted to make sure that if I did start my own practice, that it would be a lot different than where I worked. And so I did that. And even till today in our office, we have a very open policy. You know, we, we don't have specific timesheets to look over people's shoulders. We have Friday lunches with the whole team. And we have a very open sort of policy. As long as the work gets done, I suppose the culture for us is that we want to make this, the making of architecture fun and be a passionate experience. So you go to university, you do all these great things, you design museums and all these auditoriums, and then you get into the real world and you start doing, you know, toilet blocks and commercial buildings. 
And I wanted to make sure that that didn't happen for us. And so when we, you know, sort of started, we made a decision at that point that we wanted to try and do things that are exciting and off the cuff and colourful and vibrant. And I think that mantra's worked for us. And when you first sort of set out, was there a particular project that you really felt defined where you were going as a practice? That's a great question, yes. Actually, so we did a, a little house about 11 years ago and it was called a perforated house. And it was really an experiment and it was on a 75 square metre block of land and it was in a very intact heritage neighbourhood. It was really a satirical play on, you know, what we consider to be valuable in terms of our cultural values of heritage and what a house should be and how big should it be. And so it was basically the impression of a Victorian house that was perforated on some metal and, you know, this whole thing opened up and became a big open box the terrace had a mural which I actually commissioned an artist to do, which was the Australian dream. So it was the hills hoist and the, you know, Bluey the dog and the backyard cricket. And it was a commentary on a cultural shift that we need to undertake as a, I suppose, as a culture where we're building all these huge houses that hold on to romantic European ideas of, you know, the, the terrace house and not actually focusing on what the real things should be that represent Australian architecture but also that represent our culture and good design principles. So that particular little house, I remember, that's when we had a lot of publication at that time, mm-hmm. physical magazines. Mm-hmm. It was on the front cover of the AR magazine. And at the end of the year, it was the most discussed building of that year. Uh, I can't recall what year it was. But, mm-hmm. um, and it was because it was a diatribe and it was a, an engaged conversation. And so it was very interesting. It went on to actually win an award in Europe. And so that really was a springboard for us to sort of find a voice and maybe a bit of a following for our work. And so things sort of went on from there. And look, you have, um, I guess, your most notable projects for us, which have been the Barkers Road townhouses and then the Ivanhoe House. Obviously, some really strong presence of bricks, but also what you've done with the bricks. And I just wondered how that all came about. Um, Look, we've always liked to enjoy working with materials and find a new language for them, find a new vernacular for them. And those two particular projects, in particular, say the Barkers Road project, was in a very intact area in Hawthorne in Melbourne where brick was a prolific material. But not only was it a prolific material, it was also a pot spot for artisans who did some really interesting corbling and hit miss and all that sort of stuff in a traditional context. And we thought... We wanted these townhouses to actually represent what was happening contextually, but create a new language for them. And so it's actually been a very popular project. It's on a main road. We've had a lot of people call us in commentary about it. And we found it was great for the actual clients. It was an interesting story because that particular process, when we're going through a design process with the, the local council, they gave us a bit of grief. Yeah. And it was, you know trying to understand what we were trying to do. They sort of felt conflicted with the idea that we had these sort of contemporary narrations of historical ideas. They gave us the permit. They then invited us for their own local awards and then they gave us an award for it. So it was an interesting um, turn of events. And just on that project, I mean, as you've said, there's a lot of corbling, there's a lot of hit and miss screens there, and there's also a lot of blending and stack bonding. Was there anything there that surprised you about brick when it was being constructed in that way? Yeah, it was interesting because what we were trying to do was trying to, I mean, it's not a a new idea. These, I mean, the ideas that we incorporated have been around ever since Brick was around, right? But I think we can see, especially in the last five years, the emergence of Brick has become a real important component to the language of architecture, especially in this country. And I think it's happening internationally. 
And so we were really interested in exploring how we can get a small matrix of brick and actually create some interesting texture in the building, interesting shadow play. So, you know, by having some corbelling, because that building actually faces north, so you get really interesting shadows across the building, having breezeway through hit and miss, trying different matrix of bricks work. So you had stack bond or brick bond. And so that sort of experimentation started to inform the language of what we were trying to do. And most importantly, it sort of was sympathetic to the, the local context. And so then you sort of went from there and then if I look at the Ivanhoe House, beautiful green brick and stack bonding as well. Tell us yep. a little bit about that project. Well, that was a really... Actually, I was speaking to the owner of that project yesterday mm-hmm. after work and we're catching up for dinner. He's actually a childhood friend of mine. His father and my father grew up in a small village in Greece and they lived a metre away from each other. So their bedrooms were next to each other and they grew up together. And then Steve and I grew up together as well. And he approached me and he said, I want you to build my house. And he said, do whatever you want. Basically, he said, open brief. And that's pretty daunting and exciting. Were Um, you nervous because you were friends? uh, I was a little bit at the start, but I think it's important that when clients select their architects, it's a leap of faith and you need to suspend your judgment and have complete faith in them. Otherwise, you've got the wrong practitioner. So he did that. And once I, I sort of felt that he was relaxed, I did too. And so we wanted to do something quite special for him. The brief was a single-storey home. It's sort of like the block has a fall, but he wanted to sort of have it on one level. And we wanted to have a look at the history of Ivanhoe. There's some really beautiful modernist buildings in Ivanhoe, and we wanted to sort of continue that legacy. And so the beautiful Spanish brick, that white brick, caught our eye, and we instantly wanted to use that, and we wanted to use that. So in many of our projects, we might find a material that may be the impetus for the narrative of the project. And in this case, that's what was happening. So we actually sourced the product first before we actually sourced the idea for the project. And so we thought, okay, we're going to make Brick the hero in here. And we want to sort of use it in a different way. In this particular instance, we wanted to have these beautiful platonic objects floating on the landscape and also wanted to start to really make it playful with having these beautiful curves And so the material in this particular instance actually is a bit of a wayfinding device as well. So you come to the house, you know, this is the public interface of the house. And then there are moments throughout the house that have exposed brick internally. And it's sort of a way to unconsciously connect the space with the use. And so we knew that most of the people who are visiting the property will see the facade come into the property, follow the curved brick walls. And at the end of the property, you'll see the beautiful feature brick wall. And that was sort of like an unconscious thing that we wanted people to experience throughout the property. So, yeah, Brick became a bit of a hero in that project. And how did that, uh, when you presented it back to Steve, your client, like what was his response to that? He actually said, and you're not going to believe this, he said to me, we designed the floor plan and essentially it's a courtyard home. So it has a north-south orientation. And so we wanted the house to have this large courtyard to capture all of the open space and ventilation and light penetration to the building. And so it's like a C-shape and it's not your traditional, you know, corridor, room, room, backyard. It's actually your backyard's in the middle of the block. And so we wanted to first confront the client and say, look, this is not going to be a traditional suburban house. So we showed them some concepts from the floor plans and that was pretty off the wall for them. Nothing, I suppose, there's many courtyard houses been designed before. We got them over the line with that and then he said, okay, go ahead, do what you need to do. And I said, well, I need to present something. He said, no, 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 you just do it and I'll, I'm happy for you to do it. Wow. Uh, and I said, thank you, but I will still present you something. And so when we presented this to them, they loved it, right? And they found it quite interesting because it was a very different play on the use of a traditional material for them and the colour. 
yeah. you know, so the colour was quite interesting, mm. that beautiful, rich colour. And that warmth of it was something that I think attracted the client and us as well. Yeah. And you've obviously, as we've discussed, used brick in so many different ways. Why brick? Well, I think there are many reasons that we use brick. There are many aesthetic reasons, obviously. There are reasons, I think, also because of the way that it's a small module that can pretty much take any shape or form depending on the skilled labour that you have. So, you know, you can use texture with it, you can curve it, you can use it as a cladding, you can use it as a flooring material, you can use it as a bench, you can, you can do so, it's so versatile. Mm -hmm. And so that gives you a real opportunity to do a, a quite a, a number of things architecturally speaking. And so you can't really get that with many materials. The other thing is because it's easy to actually construct, you can do it on hilly sites, you can do it on flat sites, it makes it easier for us to deploy our ideas. And so that's one of the technical components of it. But I also think it has a strong connection with, you know, the Australian landscape as well. And Billy, you've obviously been involved in a lot of the awards and the jury. And mm -hmm. I just wondered what your perspective on how Brick is evolving or changing and where you see it going. I think that the Think Brick Awards have been going from strength to strength each year. I think it's done wonders for our industry because I think we're involved in many award programs locally, internationally, and they all have a different model. I think the Think Brick Awards is much more inclusive to our industry and actually literally gives back to our industry. So it's not about just giving an award. It offers support. It offers us engagement. It offers us opportunities to create new commercial opportunities with clients. And so I found that, I mean, you know, for example, we regularly use the website to find technical information about what we're doing with our brickwork, cleaning, new applications, specification writing. And so the Think Brick Awards, one, as a participant, was great. I think the awards that we won provided us with great opportunities, a lot of new clients, which was great. Being part of the award program as a judge, I think, was, was so much fun. We get to collaborate with other peers in our jury, and we had a lot of fun, as you recall, uh, at the time. But it's also great just to, as a springboard, to engage with different ideas, different approaches. And there are so many talented, wonderful architects out there doing some amazing things. And... I've always been a strong believer that as an architect, it's not something that you wake up and say, yeah, I'll give architecture a go. So I'll give five years of university and then we'll see if it works out. <laughs> you know, So yeah. I think people do it because they genuinely have a passion for it. They love it. Or maybe I'm being a little bit uh, idealistic, but I genuinely think that that's what people do it. And so when you get a bunch of enthusiastic people about a certain topic in a room, I think that's a good sense of, uh, a good energy about, about what's happening about the industry. And for us, that sense of exchange was, was great. Oh, excellent. Um, Billy, just with where the world is going now and obviously around topics like climate change and reducing emissions, where do you see architects' role in that? Well, my first lecture at university some 20-odd years ago, 23 years ago, I remember there was a concerted effort and the first thing they said to me at the stage was, climate is going to be at the forefront of what we need to think about moving to the future. And so I think people in the arts, in particular architecture, given that there are, there's utility associated with it, I think we've always been at the forefront of making sure that sustainability is part of our vocabulary. So I find it interesting when people say, we're doing a building and it's sustainable. We think it's like saying, you know, we need a building and it's got to have light, and it's got to have program and it's got to be environmentally sustainable. I don't think that they're separate ideas. They need mm. to be ingrained into what we do. And as a practice, I think that's something that we just do by default. 
And I think the quicker we get to a point where we just understand that that's something that we need to do, like getting great light into a building, I think we'll have better environmental outcomes. And any advice to young and aspiring architects that are just starting out? Yes. So when I used to teach at Melbourne Uni, I always used to say to our um, younger students, I said, look, this is a, a safe place where you get to explore who you want to be and what you want to do and moving into the future. But you need to decide what type of architect you want to be. And I think that's a very valuable lesson. So when I when came out to the workforce, I knew I didn't want to abandon all the exciting things that I learned at university and just go into a commercial enterprise where we just build buildings. I think there's a real distinct difference between building things and actually creating and making architecture. And so I would say to young people, you need to find where you are in that spectrum. And if you, if you think that architecture is an art, which we do, then you should devote all your energies into making sure that you position yourself to find somewhere to work that way or create your own practice. Beautiful. Well, we're just going to go into the rapid round of questions now. So any answers are acceptable. Mm-hmm. Reading the news, a newspaper or online? Online. Handwriting or typing? Both. For sketching ideas and concepts, would you use a pencil, pen or e-pen? Uh, we use pen, Yes. Do you like to read books or listen to audio books? I can't listen to audio books. I read books. <laughs> <laughs> What's important to you, style or substance? Definitely substance. Coffee or tea? Tea. TV shows or movies? Movies. Antique or brand new, modern? Both. Call or text? Definitely call. Travel back in time or into the future? Wow. Both. (laughs) Exterior or interior? Both. Video games or board games? Board games. Form or function? Form. Complex or simple with relation to design? Complex. Billy Cavalleras, thank you so much for your time and for everything that you've done. My pleasure. the brick industry. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please follow, rate and review our podcast. We are always looking for new ways to think brick. If you have an idea of what you'd like to hear about, there's a link in our show notes to let us know.